Howdy Health Explain listeners. This is Dr. Robin Trailer back again with a podcast. Today I am joined by two next level favorites. Say hello, Dr. Thomas. Hi everyone. Yeah, Dr. Thomas is one of our fantastic medical directors. She's been with us since uh, residency. Another favorite here at Next Level. Welcome, Dr. Batts. Hello. So Dr. Batts is one of our associate medical directors. Again, one of the fantastic physicians we were able to recruit right out of residency and she has just been fantastic. So we are in March 2023. This is Women Hist- Women's History Month. Happy International Women's Day, physicians, to you both. When I was growing up, I don't remember hearing a whole lot about like Women's History Month. I don't remember that being a thing. Everybody knows Black History Month is February and you know some of these other months have special recognition. When's the first time you ever even remember hearing about Women's History Month? I think a f- just a few years ago. Right. Yeah. Right. We, growing up, we never heard about that. Women no. Physician, any celebration of women physicians no. at all. So no. It's kind of a nice, nice break. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Honestly, yeah. I feel like I learned about it through social media. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's just absolutely. sending me like, That's exactly um, right. happy National Women's Day. And I'm like. Yeah. And so we find ourselves here at Next Level. This just happens to be a woman owned business. Uh, there are women executives at the top of the company. More than half of our physicians at Next Level right now are women. And so I, I came up at a time in medicine where I I wouldn't say women were like the majority of my class. Women certainly were not in the majority as I was like rotating through my uh, medical school uh, uh, rotations on the hosp- in the hospital and like in different clinics. Now I'm starting to see a lot more women in the profession, like as medical doctors. Mm-hmm. What was your experience coming up, like in training? And you know, did you see it? Were you exposed to a lot of women in medicine or women in sciences, or was it kind of a novel idea? You know, that a woman could be in medicine. Um, so growing up, my initial primary care physician um, from when I was born until I went off to college was a woman. Um, so that was the first lady that I had ever seen as a really? medical doctor. But outside of that, I didn't know anyone personally. Right. Um, so that way I could get mentorship and guidance along my journey. But I wish I would have had that. Yeah, that, I mean, that would have been really great. I was exposed to more women physicians, I guess, when I when I went to medical school Mm -hmm. and even like when I was in high school I had some exposure to physicians because both of my parents worked at Bentob Hospital they're not Mm -hmm. doctors but they were you know uh, in in the you know healthcare milieu all those years and so I I got to see people from afar but I like you I didn't have like a one-on-one connection with a woman physician my pediatrician growing up was a man matter of fact both of my pediatricians were men and they were wonderful uh but it would have been really great you know to have that example uh growing up so wow that's really cool what about you dr thomas for me same thing all the physicians i went to when i was a child i think were all males mm-hmm. you know and i don't know if it was my parents preference because at that time that was the majority or right. not. i should probably ask them um right. but in residency we we're about half half our class was 12 so right. six girls six six boys right. so um it kind of 
evened everything out. And I never really, honestly, never really thought about it until I started working here. Right. And this is my first job out of residency, but you can see the difference just talking to other colleagues about a women-led organization versus, you know, not a women-led yes. organization. Yes. It's a lot softer. You know, mm-hmm. it, it allows work-life balance and time for family. It's very, very important. Anytime a situation comes up with a family and I call you or anybody about it, everyone is very, very understanding about it. So I think that's a huge difference in anything that's women-led. Well, truly. And I think, you know, another thing about being here at Next Level is because we're led by women, uh, some of us just happen to be mothers. We're always focused on the family. Not that men are not focused on the family. Our fantastic Mm -hmm. producer in the room, Zach (laughs) Reynolds, starts out talking about his daughter and his wife Um, men are incredibly dedicated to their families but moms really are the drivers of like health care and health maintenance in the in the home we tend to be the ones who are making the medical decisions in the family Um, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure both of you even as daughters uh, and maybe even as like cousins or best friends or the ones that your families are relying on for like health advice. And so mm-hmm. um, it makes sense for women to be well represented in the medical space. Um, but I wanted to have a conversation today about women in medicine and I guess particularly about the two of you, you all have been wonderful for Next Level. And I think that a lot of people here look up to you. Our patients absolutely love you. It might be kind of nice to know where you're coming from, what inspired you to go into medicine, um, and uh, who who might have inspired you to pursue medicine as a career. So Dr. Thomas, I guess we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, where you're coming from, and you know any women in your life that may have led you in this direction? Yeah, so we are first generation. Uh, My parents came from India. They were born in India and came here and made this wonderful life for themselves. Um, So I just saw their hard work. Neither of my parents are physicians, but my mom was in medicine Mm -hmm. and she kind of created this this company that with my with my dad, who's an engineer, that went did really well. And just seeing somebody going from India where they didn't know anything that was going on in America and they came here and started their own business, just that drive alone. It's just been such an inspiration to me to see how how they have grown. Right. And so I've always wanted to make more for my life. Because right. my dad always says, you, we have to do better than what my father did. Oh, gosh, and He did a yes. hundred times better. Yeah. So for us, it's really hard because we have a harder, we have to beat what they did. You right. Know? So nobody in my immediate family are physicians, but my, my husband is a physician. Uh-huh. His sister and brother, my brother-in-law, are physicians, and then my sister's husband is also a physician. So oh now my we're goodness. like, it's funny because they joke. Our, my oldest Aria says, "I'm going to be a doctor." I'm like, "Be an astronaut." I you know. know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But we paved the way, right? Yeah. So they can do whatever that they they want to do. Yeah, so I think that's great. Well, that's really fantastic. First mm-hmm. generation. Your parents did so well. Now everybody's a doctor. I can't mm-hmm. think of anything more inspiring than that. What about you, Doctor Bats? Where are you coming from? Yes, yeah, so definitely. So my my family also comes back from a background of wanting to always progress the next generation. Right. And so my mom, she was a social worker, or she still is a social worker, and she works with a lot of different physicians. So she would always tell us about her experiences with the people that she worked right. with. My sister was actually the first one who decided to do medicine, and I just like math and science. So I didn't really know about engineering or anything like that. I knew either be a doctor or a lawyer. But um, yeah, so I was like, I just went to college and started off with pre-med. So after my first year, um, I actually was 
kind of thinking about changing my route and going a different direction, um, but I spoke with my Dean of Medicine, our Dean of Biology at that time, Dr. Dr. Harriet Lee Block, and she was the one who really inspired me. She said that I had the passion, the drive, the education, the knowledge to do whatever I wanted to do in life. And so that kept me along the track and journey to become a physician. You know, I remember being with her and being with Dr. Brown. They were incredible when I was at Prairie View. And they had this special power of making students believe that they could go the distance and be doctors. I'll be honest, that's a lot of the reason I even went to Prairie View. My parents had warned me against going to a program that might try to break my spirit or make Mm -hmm. me feel like I couldn't do it. And Prairie View had these fantastic um, professors and a really nurturing environment. And yes, she wrote my letter of recommendation to get me into medical school. So I will always have a place in my heart for uh, Dr. Howard Lee Block. Um, And so let's get into kind of like the history of medicine here. Uh, We have a couple of articles that we read in preparation for today. Um, The first one is from the American um, Association of Medical Colleges. They had an article a couple of years ago called Celebrating 10 Women uh, Who Are Medical Pioneers. And let's just run down this list. Now, some of the names I knew, but Mm -hmm. some of these people I never even heard about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dr. Thomas, we'll throw it to you. Um, who's our first doctor on this list? So Elizabeth Blackwell, um, she was the first woman to ever be granted a medical degree. And so this is the one on the list that I definitely knew. I think every woman physician knows this yeah, one, one name because yeah. um, she started the journey for all of us. Well, 100%. And uh, she is coming up in 1821 uh, is when she was born. Mm-hmm. Let's say that she's headed to medical school around age, you know, I don't know, say 25 or 30. I don't know, you know, how old a woman had to be back then. But I can imagine it was hard for her to even speak that she wanted to be a physician out loud in society. It was probably kind of a laughable idea that a woman would even want to be a professional, let alone like an actual medical doctor. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in this moment, we honor Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell. And just in that same vein, she was admitted as a joke, you know. Oh yeah. So her classmates voted her in as they thought it was a that's prank. That's right. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. amazing that they, yeah. It was just so laughable to them, like you were saying. That yeah. They admitted this this person in as they thought she would just utterly fail or whatever. Yeah. And she made it through, right? Yeah. And she led the way. Okay. So the next one on our list, Dr. Bats, I'll let you uh, speak to the next person on our list. Who do we have here? Yes, so the next one that we have is Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. She was the first African-American woman to earn a medical degree in the United States. Right. So Dr. Crumpler is a very interesting figure in American history because Mm -hmm. she is born in 1831. Obviously, back then, slavery was the law of the land, and she decided that she wanted to be a doctor. And so, like, what are the steps that she took? How did she even get there? Because it seems like an impossible dream. Like, to me, even looking back 
at the time when she wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. It seems nearly impossible that she would even be admitted into any medical college. But what was what was her deal, Dr. Yes, Batts? So it says she worked for eight years as a nurse um, back in Charleston in, right. in 1864. She completed her education um, for that. And then following the Civil War, she decided that she wanted to be able to treat those who were enslaved wow. um, or who suffered for rampant racism and sexism because people didn't want to treat them as good as they were treating the other. Well, you know, I've had I have found that that is kind of a common theme among women physicians. Oftentimes there is a community that we want to help, uh, an underserved community, mm-hmm. or you know, a group of people that we can relate to, or we recognize the suffering in people. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think that that's something that women do incredibly well. Now, some some people might even call it um, like maternalistic or something like that. But I want to be careful not to denigrate or take away from the determination of any of these women you know they were intellectuals uh they were brave Mm -hmm. and they wanted to help people and so dr crumpler and dr blackwell really had to overcome whatever kind of societal prejudices existed in the day and still persevere, you know, to go on to become doctors. And so I, I just think it's amazing that she even got over the hump yeah. and earned a medical degree mm-hmm. um, and went on to to help so many people in her day. She even published a, a book. It's called A Book of Medical Discourses. I actually have never even read that book, but I'm going to make it a point to read it before Women's History Month <laughs> next year. The next person on our list, Dr. Thomas, I'll throw to you. Who do we have? So we have Mary Putnam Jacoby. Mm-hmm. She was um, alive from 1842 to 1906, and she kind of debunked that menstruation myth. Yes, and so that's pretty interesting. It looks like she was fighting for her female peers, um, and she wanted women to have the same clinical experiences um, as, as anyone else, and mm-hmm. she was fighting all kinds of inequity in her time. And so, you know, again, menstruation, uh, women's history, I'm not even sure if when she was learning and practicing, if that was something that was necessarily like studied or known about, um, Mm -hmm. if anybody had any kind of like focus on women's health in the day. Um, But we are grateful for her contribution to um, medicine. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about Dr. Anne Preston, Dr. Batts, what do we know about her? So Dr. Anne Preston was the first woman dean of a U.S. medical school, and her main goal was to fight for the opportunities for her female students. Well, that's really cool. I mean, again, she is someone who comes after Dr. Blackwell and Dr. Crumpler, and she can view the medical landscape. She knows that women are capable of being physicians, and not only does she want to be a doctor, but she wants to actually lead a medical school, which, you know, I'm sure at the time was just completely unheard of, um, especially here in the U.S. So 
Um, shouts out to Dr. Ann Preston. We remember her and honor her contributions in this moment. Um, who's the next person on our list? We have Dr. Susan LaFleche Picote. So she was devoted to healing Native Americans. When she was younger, she saw a Native American woman die because a white doctor refused to care for her. Wow. Um, so once she became a physician, she devoted her care to Native Americans. Wow. That is really, really something. And yeah, I mean, again, for, for anyone who grows up in any kind of marginalized community, if you have a heart, you can see that people need care. And so she decides that she is going to be the solution for, for her own community. And she goes on to become a physician. She eventually opens a hospital in a reservation town in Nebraska. Um, so very, very cool uh, that she was able to um, receive the education and then bring it back to her community. All right, so our next person is a Nobel Prize winner. Um, Dr. Batts, who do we have next here? So we have Ms. Uh, Dr. K Gertie Teresa Corey. Okay. So she actually won the Nobel Prize explaining how glucose is metabolized, which is super important oh because my gosh. it's how we treat diabetes today. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Dr. Gertie Teresa Corey, PhD, won a Nobel Prize for teaching us about glucose metabolism. Um, and, you know, obviously today in America, more than half of Americans are diabetic. There, we're somewhere on that scale, whether you're pre-diabetic or just very brittle diabetic or uncontrolled diabetic. And like someone has to be the pioneer to even discover the thing. And it's kind of cool um, that a woman was one of the pioneering scientists and researchers to even discover this disease that still has such a major impact on our society today. And so, you know, she eventually wins the Nobel Prize, which, oh my gosh, you know, at the time, I remember learning when I was studying that two guys named Watson and Crick discovered DNA. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later that a woman named Franklin was actually key in the discovery of DMA and wasn't even recognized until posthumously. And so I think the fact that Dr. Corey is recognized during her time, mm -hmm. this is someone who was born in 1896 um, and she is deceased in 1957, is really, really a very important figure, um, not just in women's history, but in science history and shows women of the day the possibilities, you know, for how far we can go and what big impact women can have on the entire medical landscape, whether it be like as a medical doctor or as a scientific researcher, you know, PhD like Dr. Corey. Very, very cool. Okay, so the next name is one that I recognize, but I'll mm -hmm. be honest, I did not know that this person was a woman. Mm -hmm. um, so Dr. Thomas, is, is it your turn now? I think so, Okay, yeah. so who, who is our next person? So Virginia Apgar. I did not know this was a person, actually. Me I thought it was either. just a clever acronym. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a cool acronym. I didn't know it was a person. So what did Dr. Virginia Apgar do for us in medicine? So she created the Apgar score, which is a score we give newborns right when they're born, I believe, seven minutes after yes. um, to assess how well they're doing. Yes. And it's pretty spot on. So it's just amazing that she matched it up with right. her last name, too. But, right. Well, um, and it's been a long time since I had to deliver a baby, but back then, um, APGAR was really like the one of the first scoring tools that we would use to assess a baby's 
vitality mm-hmm. and and whether or not they they seemed healthy right there at birth and you know here we are all the way in 2023 and I'm pretty sure we're still using Apgar scoring we today are. you know mm-hmm. in the delivery room so shouts out to Dr. Apgar um, it looks like she was the first director of Columbia Presbyterian's Hospital uh, Division of Anesthesia in 1938. Sheesh. Yeah, I mean, wow. wow, what an incredible pioneer. But she goes on to get a master's in public health uh, at Johns Hopkins University and eventually works at the March of Dimes. Uh, as the vice president for medical affairs. Mm-hmm. Dr. Apgar, who knew? And I love this quote from the former U.S. Surgeon General Julius Richmond that said, Apgar had done more to improve the health of mothers, babies, and unborn infants than anyone else in the 20th century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty powerful. It's well, that is very powerful. And she's even making impacts now in the uh, 21st century. So big, big, big recognition for Dr. Apgar. Okay, so who is our next scientist? So our next scientist is Dr. Patricia Goldman. Okay, so she, what is Dr. Goldman doing for us, Dr. Batts? It looks like she mapped the region of the prefrontal cortex, which gave us more insight to diseases like Alzheimer's disease, cerebral palsy, uh, Parkinson's disease, and also schizophrenia. Okay, oh my gosh. So right now there's some incredible medical breakthroughs happening in the Alzheimer's space. There's some immunotherapy advancements that are being made. We are diagnosing Alzheimer's before patients have any sign of the disease. So I guess really what we're doing is finding who's at increased risk Mm -hmm. and possibly even like pre-treating those people so that we can either delay or prevent uh, dementia from happening. But first, you got to figure out what the thing is. And Mm -hmm. this fantastic Dr. Patricia Goldman uh, racket, she, she, she is mapping the brain. And she is showing us exactly where Alzheimer's disease, cerebral palsy, Parkinson's, schizophrenia, um, has its effect on our prefrontal cortex. Very, very cool for her. Who's the next person on our list? I have Antonio Novello. She became the U.S. Surgeon General in 1990, and she was the first Hispanic woman to do that. That is incredible. You know, I I am a kid in the 90s, and I'm sure she is probably one of the first national figures that Mm -hmm. I am even introduced to as a girl. I think that's so important because I know my mother didn't have anything like that in her view when she was coming up as a girl. So this person is Surgeon General in 1990 and she comes to us all the way from Puerto Rico where she went to medical school. Very, Mm -hmm. very cool. Um, What else do we know about Dr. Novello? We know she was just committed to battling health inequities among the poor and minority groups, which is so important as Surgeon General. Well, so she's battling health inequities. You know, she's from Puerto Rico. She considered pediatrics, but Mm. I think she decided that she really wanted to cast a wider net in medicine and maybe not treat just children. And so very, very cool that... Uh, not only is she a woman, uh, but she's a brown woman in a very powerful uh, position for the United States back in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And Dr. Batts, you have the final person in this article. Who is she? She's Dr. Dr. Jocelyn Elders. Okay. Um, So she actually is the first African-American Surgeon General. 
And the interesting thing is that she grew up poor in Arkansas, and she didn't see her first doctor until the age of 16. Oh, my gosh. Um, at which time she knew right then that she wanted to become a doctor. Okay. So after serving in the Army, she um, went on with the GI Bill, went to the University of Arkansas Medical School, and became the first board-certified pediatric endocrinologist. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Wow. Well... Uh, she, I actually, I have memories of seeing this person uh, when I was growing up. And again, it's, you know, when you're a kid, you don't even realize when you're being influenced and when you're being inspired. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I knew that if I could see it, I could be it. And this lady had not even seen a doctor until she was 16 years old. So the idea that she goes to the military, becomes a doctor, becomes Surgeon General, a pediatric endocrinologist, for goodness sakes, is like, it just blows my mind. Right, exactly. So, so I wanted to end this tour through women's history and, and science by talking about a doctor that I learned about during the COVID pandemic. Her name is Caitlin Carico, and I I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, She is a PhD scientist who was born in Hungary and immigrated to the United States around the 1970s. And she learns about mRNA technology around that time. Later on, she and other scientists that she's working with are thinking mRNA might be a reasonable tool for vaccinating people, for creating designer drugs for people, because Mm -hmm. she understands that mRNA creates proteins and proteins are going to determine what kind of people we're going to be. And so her thing is, well, if you you don't have to change anyone's genetic makeup, you don't have to change the DNA code, you just have to know how to give your code the right recipe. Mm -hmm. And so she is using mRNA and comes up with this breakthrough discovery of mRNA entering the cells to take over our ribosomes and create like good proteins for us to help us get over disease or to help us tolerate medicines better or or anything like that and so she really is what what i'm going to call like an immunotherapy um pioneer and so it is her science her science along with with partners that she worked with at the time that really helped to rescue us out of the pandemic. This is the woman that discovered mRNA vaccine and mRNA technology. Mm-hmm. And she went on to help lead the BioNTech uh, company with Pfizer. Um, another partner of hers from the time went on to kind of start Moderna. And they bring us these mRNA vaccines, which really helped to get us out of the pandemic. And so. Um, women are everywhere. Yes. Women are everywhere. Women are incredible and amazing. And I know that all of us get to sit here in this room because of the incredible achievements of these women in science. 
And so um, I'm very grateful to get to work with a lot of fantastic women, uh, but especially the two of you, Dr. Batts, Dr. Thomas, you've made such significant contributions to Next Level and and what we have become today. This company this year is going to be 10 years old in July. And uh, you all have been with us almost half that time. You've really helped to kind of like shape the, the, the kind of medicine that we're able to deliver to patients at Next Level. So I'm really honored that you were able to join me today to talk about women's history, women's history in science, and that you're making your own history at Next Level. Yes, I'm honored to be here. Yes, same. Thank you so much for having us. Well, Health Explained listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. We look forward to talking to you again real soon.